You are listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is Outspoken. You are back with us. It's another Sunday. It's That's another right. snowy Sunday. I know. It's very snowy. In fact, uh, it's so snowy that Jonathan in his duct taped car yes. um, could not make it out here without no. some assistance. So I texted you. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, Sergey, yeah. I'm going to need you to come get me. And so we well, had a good drive in. Because this, so this was our single digit temperature week. it is yeah or and it was, uh, what i discovered is the outside of my car does really well and it's the inside of my windshield that now chooses to ice up oh. so like i go i'm like oh there's ice so i'm starting my car after work and i'm going <laughs> to to scrape the ice off the windshield as we all do and nope that's smooth and beautiful it's on the inside <laughs> of my car so all wow. i have to say wow. to winter is stop it yeah just stop it yeah let's be on okay so my my uh, coworkers at work think it's hilarious it, it, we, well, we it is. all have jonathan car stories yeah. <laughs> and so we already know it's duct taped together because yeah. that's and then the wonderful new thing is that the heater doesn't work right but it does blow cold air really well so <laughs> i carpool in the mornings why i'm the one using the car because they're crazy so we all have to bundle up as if we're in alaska <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, and you can only go a certain amount, be- or else, no matter what you're wearing, you'll still feel like you have frostbite. Well, yeah, when, yeah. when it's four degrees. So I just want to say, so I cold. am winning at life. <laughs> yeah. I, that's what you do. That's um, what you do. In unrelated news, there's a car fund for Jonathan <laughs> starting up on the internet, and I will send you the and link. And it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> no, I am. this is what I tell my mom all the time. Listen, you, you learn to be grateful. Yeah. You, I am grateful right. that I have a car. There you go. You don't have I, to bus. I don't, well, I don't have to bus, which I could, better, so I'd be grateful for a bus. I don't have to ski to work. Hey, True. I have an apartment with True. heat. Okay. You know what I mean? So there are things it is I can feed yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. So I figure really, in the grand scheme of things, not too shabby. <laughs> Right. Given, you know, if you look at just the one thing, I think duct tape is beautiful. Hey, it matches the color I of your car. I think soon that's... I am going to be a spokesperson for the National Duct Tape uh, Association. They which might. Is going to be a thing. That's true. They it might, is. you know, it is. might give you a good. A good Are you uh, going skiing, kind sir? You love this. I do. Yesterday I couldn't make it out. Um, I just I, I just didn't want to. I wanted to sleep. <laughs> right. That's really why. Well, the couldn't is kind of loose <laughs> term. You know, didn't want to. No, didn't want didn't to. Want but to. I, I will this week. Um, night skiing is open. So, yay, after work, I'll I be know. going. And it is um, beautiful up there. Yes, it is. Yeah, and, gorgeous. you know, it's, it's also the holiday season. So there's lots yeah. of days off. Right. Um, coming up. I want to say so that reminded me of my favorite T-shirt that I'm going to buy, which is, I'm so sorry I'm late. I didn't want to come. (laughs) I love that. So there you go. But something else that everybody has been so funny as they are so excited for, we are too, we love it, we do it every year, Mm -hmm. it is the release of the awkward holiday cards from the boys. Yeah. Last year, a lot of people led, but we always release five. Yep. Um, All different interesting things. So this year, we did the photo shoot Mm -hmm. last week. We did. If you happen to be at the place we did the photo shoot, it was a good time. Had by all. <laughs> there were lots of people with their yes. phones out taking, taking pictures. Taking pictures of us. Because yeah. we Which were we loved. Weird, you know, we, that's fine. That's perfect. But <laughs> those are finally done. You yes. don't know what they are because we wouldn't tell you all. Uh, you will find out. Today, we're going to release the first of the five of the Christmas cards. And uh, some lucky people will, will even get one in the mail to them for a happy birthday from the Woo-hoo. boys. But it was, it was sufficiently awkward. 
yeah. a little. It it was weird. A lot weird. A lot weird. Actually, mostly it was weird. perfect. It mostly was on brand. Weird. Yeah, we were trying to make brand. it look you know fun and cozy and and sleek and hip. And right. Mostly awkward came and out. Mostly awkward. Well, I fine. sent. I will admit, I sent a behind the scenes photo to my brother. Yeah. And he said that is so wrong. And yeah. I sent back <laughs> that. Means we're on brand. Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, actually, <laughs> there for we you guys, are. that's exactly what it means. <laughs> we're right on track." So look for the first Christmas card yes. uh, photo to be released today. Uh, you, if you would like to see it, uh, Facebook. I'm sure we'll have it. Facebook.com yes, slash yes. Outspokesman is a way to do that. Also, as many of you know, as we go through the show, you can always comment so we we can make your comments part of the conversation of the show. If you are listening to today's show, which is an important one that we've talked about all week, uh, you can make comments, send questions to our Facebook page and we will make sure that we add it to our conversation that we will be having for the next two hours. Yes, because so. it is important. Um, and if, if you're not aware of what this conversation is, it is a part of our Uncomfortable Conversation uh, series where we are talking about grief and loss mm-hmm. today, which is a big, big mm. uh, conversation and a really yes. kind of a, a heavier one. Um, so we will be yeah. having um, Randy uh, C. Watts, who is author of Feeling Empty, talking yes. about... Um, you know, his book and also our favorite doctor, not a real doctor, not a real doctor. Uh, uh, David L. Jacobs, <laughs> licensed therapist, licensed not therapist, not, not a real doctor. doctor. <laughs> um, I love Damon. Yeah. Love Damon that. will be on, on as well. So it's mm-hmm. going to be, it's an important show. It's a hard show. Listen, I think I got all my crying out at the coffee shop yesterday <laughs> in front of a bunch of strangers. So I think yeah. we're good. <laughs> hey, and, and if it's not, bring it on, bring I it know. on. I know. And just be what you are. Just be what you are. Exactly. Perfect. Um, so to start this off, we are going to start off with the Sarah McLaughlin song. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be I Will Remember You um, because <sighs> let's set the tone right you away. so cruel. You are back with KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is Outspoken. And Outspoken is proud to present the next in our series of very important conversations, uncomfortable conversations. This is grief. Grief is something that will cut through each of our lives at some point. It remains unavoidable and extremely personal. Culturally, we are left to navigate it on our own. We don't talk about it. We are uncomfortable with it. We simply wish it would leave. Many isolate and hide, self-medicate, hurt silently, and wall up from the world. Yet, grief can be a time of growth, of gratitude, and of healing if we let it. We are very proud to welcome Randy C. Watts, author of the book Filling Empty, and our favorite therapist and author of the books Absolutely Shitless and Rational Relating, Damon L. Jacobs, as they help us in the next two hours navigate the very difficult subject of grief. So we want to welcome you both to Outspoken. Thank you. It's an honor. Hey boys, here. thank you. Oh, of course. Now this is, you know, one of those shows that we take the full show because uh the subject matter is one that we we need to delve. Yes, explore and really dig deep on. Yeah. And so before we begin, I want to start with you, Randy. Uh you wrote a book as we said, Filling Empty. Um, and I want to talk first about, can you tell us why you chose to write the book and why you think the book was needed? Of course. Um, Filling Empty, in a nutshell, is the book that I wish I would have had when my wife passed away from leukemia. Um, I had no clue of what kind of pain came along with grief. As a matter of fact, I, I thought that the painful part of someone losing someone would be the viewing, the funeral. But once you get through that, then you're okay. 
I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I started, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, I started to keep a journal from the very beginning because when she was better, Mm -hmm. I wanted for her to be able to read what she went through as she went through the chemotherapy and all the treatments. Never did I think she was actually going to leave me. And uh, as a matter of fact, the subtitle of Filling Empty is for those whose partners have left them for death and for those whose partners still may. I didn't think that was going to happen. So I kept this journal of everything that went on day to day. And then when I realized that she wasn't going to be coming home with me, everything changed. And once I started to feel this intense pain and suffering of loss, I realized that I was unprepared just as so many people that I spoke with in my grief support groups and, and acquaintances who lose people. It's really hard. And I thought, you know what? I want to drop my other writing projects and write the book that I hope will help people as they work their way through grief. Right. And, uh, and I also want to point out I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professor. I don't have a degree in grief counseling. I'm just a guy who went through it. Mm-hmm. I'm just a guy who, who dedicated my life for a while to figure out how to get through this. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you say and that we'll be talking about uh, in, in these next two hours is this. We talk about culturally, we, we don't talk about it. It's not a time. We try to, like, save other people from having to deal with it from us. Other people, you know, kind of hope that sometimes we would just, you know, it's too painful. It's too real. I think it's too too raw. And this book does read very much like the conversations we should be having with each other. It's very much like, this is what I'm going through. This is what has helped me. This is, and I want to share that Mm -hmm. with you who might be going through the same thing because really, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of that happening and there isn't a lot of that there. Damon, I want to ask you as uh, a therapist, how much of your practice is, is helping people deal with grief? Well, I have been uh, uh, working as a licensed marriage family therapist now for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And within at least the LGBT community, I can say that there has been a lot of changes in 20 years. 20 years ago, most of my work was about traumatic grief and loss from AIDS. Yeah, We sure. were still in the middle of it. We were just at the very, very beginning of the treatments working. Right. So we were on the cusp of that, but most of my work, those first five years was really related to helping people manage their lives as they were processing the grief and trauma of losing loved ones, husbands, wives, um, even children to AIDS. Mm-hmm. And it has been prominent. Now, these days, it's not as prominent. It's certainly still a factor. Right. Uh, but I think now, more in my practice, when death comes up, it's more related to losing somebody for similar to Randy, something like leukemia or cancer Mm -hmm. or an unexpected incident. Um, Mm -hmm. So thankfully, we don't have the crisis of AIDS as omnipresent and looming looming over us. Right. But it's certainly been a part of my professional and personal life as well, is coping with these feelings that Randy just so beautifully described. It's just this, uh, this deep pain that it's really like a part of you, literally. It's like a part of your soul gets ripped out of your body when mm-hmm. someone you love um, becomes ill and passes. And so, and do you, yes. Do you find culturally, especially over here in, in our, our part of the world, do you find culturally that it's, it's not easy 
for people to talk to each other about loss, about grief? Oh, it is, you know, like you guys are saying, culturally, no, we don't do this, right? We don't sit right. down and say, hey, let's have some coffee or a drink because we want to talk about grief today. Right. We want to talk about what we're upset, you know, we complain. Yeah. We want to complain yeah. about the weather or about the president or about anything sure. or about the movies or about, you know, sports, but, uh, or complain about the Kardashians, but we don't really right. sit right. down and say, my soul is in pain and yeah. I don't know what to do. Right. These are not right. typical of the conversations we have, and I wish we did have more of those normalized in our culture. Exactly. Right. Well, and, and that's what our conversation here aims to do. And I think starting you know, the conversation about grief uh, kind of lends itself to uh, talking about coping with grief and where we go from there. And Damon, I know you uh, uh, have a book called Absolutely Shouldless, and you talk a lot about shoulds and you know, that we, we, there's no right or wrong way to do it. There's no should. And especially with grief, I know, Randy, in your book, you also talked about it. There's no normal to how you deal with grief. Um, Damon, starting with you, can we talk a little bit about what role shoulds play in grief? And then, Randy, we'll have you uh, kind of touch up on that in your story. Absolutely. So I make a very clear distinction between pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And I'll just describe those to you. Pain is inevitable, mm-hmm. right? So pain, mm-hmm. if we are really living in this world and loving other human beings, we're going to experience pain because people will leave us. As long as we are alive, people are going to leave. And sometimes it's by choice and sometimes it's not. Right. So as long as we're living in this world, people are going to leave or people are going to die. And if we're really human and we're really showing up, we're going to feel pain from that. That's inevitable. And that's, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to, to regret about that. But suffering is optional. Suffering is what we do with our mind and how we make sense of the pain. So suffering may look like, this is horrible. Why does this always happen to me? Why would I love anybody if they're just going to leave me and abandon me? I'm never going to feel close to anybody again. I'm a victim. Life is hard. And why can't I, and and quote, I should be doing this differently than how I'm doing it now. Mm -hmm. There is a right way to grieve. There's a wrong way to grieve, and I'm definitely doing this the wrong way because you know, I should be over this by now, or I should be done with this by now. It shouldn't still hurt me 18, 20 years later. Those are the shoulds we use to cause suffering. That is optional. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And Randy, it's fascinating because you, you talk about this difference as well in your book, in telling your story, and how you learned. Will you talk to us about when it, when you first started going through the grief, and you mentioned that there was a bitter time, and then, you know what, this difference between I'm, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to find healing. Will you talk to us about that? Oh, of course. Um, you know, when, when and, 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 and this book is not about my late wife. This book is about the experiences I had. And, uh, and as, as Damon so eloquently put it, uh, one of the biggest things is that there's no rules for grief, but... Uh, since I hadn't passed through, because when you lose a partner or someone that you love so dearly, it's different than losing your, you know, uh, maybe a relative that's a little more distant or mm-hmm. someone that you didn't get along with so well or a friend. But when you truly have that love connection, like mm-hmm. I know that you've experienced, it's, uh, it's a whole different ball game. So <clears throat> when my late wife went into the hospital, her name was Melinda. Um, I stayed with her. I moved into the hospital with her. I wanted to be there every minute through her healing and through her recovery. 
and I started a journal uh, so that she would be able to read mm-hmm. everything that she went through because she was out of it a lot as she went through these different treatments. And I called it Leukemia Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And I was anxious to publish that for her and for her family. And it was written so that she'd have an idea of what, what she passed through. However, after six months, it became evident that she was not going to be coming home with me. As a matter of fact, she was going to be going home to uh, the life hereafter. And the Leukemia Chronicles turned into filling empty because I learned uh, probably the hard way of how painful uh, grief can be. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I always thought that when someone passed away, especially when I started to realize that Melinda was going to die, I thought, well, the tough part is going to be when I have to go to the viewing and see her lying right. in the casket. The business of the death. Yeah, yeah. the funeral, you know, getting, getting through the funeral. That's when I've typically cried when someone dies. But, you know, it was uh, actually surreal at the viewing and at the uh, funeral. I was smiling. I was happy. I was and probably in denial. Um, and that was not the difficult part, seeing mm-hmm. the casket close, sure. what the, which I thought was going to be the absolute most heart-wrenching part. Right. That wasn't difficult. But after the funeral, everyone went home. Mm-hmm. And then I was left to my thoughts. Yeah, the distractions went away. Yeah, and that's yeah. when the real pain started to creep in. Sure. And I started to think, hey, right. wait a minute. Now, now I am hurting. Right. When is this going to stop or is this going to get any better? Well, it, it didn't get better. And I, I, I'm brutally honest with my readers that it hurts. Yeah. It hurts really bad. Right. <laughs> and, and, and like Damon said, there's different ways that we can cope with it. Mm-hmm. We can assume the title of the griever and, 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 and be that for life. Right. Have it or define we can, you. Yeah. Or we can work on ways, which I tried several. And I interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of people to see how did they cope with it. Right. And I experimented in thing, with things. And, uh, and I realized, like Damon says, you, it's something you're going to have to pass through. It's yeah. a necessary part of healing. Right. And, you know, and I, I wanted to say, especially, so we've had listeners uh, write questions. I think this all speaks to this need, I think, as human beings to... Some, grief is so out of control. I mean, because it's you feel so helpless in it. So we have this need to put rules on it, to the shoulds, put shoulds all over it, yeah. to have it be in a very uh, structured and efficient. And I'd say there, there are some thinkers out there who believe there is six weeks you can get through it. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I would take. love to know how that works because it's, you know, it's a process, but it's these mm-hmm. rules we say. Right. And actually, we had a listener, one of our listeners from Italy uh, wrote us a letter and said, I want to know how long is appropriate. See, needing rules, needing guidelines. Um, how and is it what is it more time? He had a formula. Is it more time if uh, it was unexpected? Is it, you know, and it's this this desperate need to give it a finite time frame that is part of of i think you know our brain's way of thinking is going to help us cope but it's not acceptance in reality and one of the things i want to bring up is damon you talking about pain difference between pain and suffering is when i look at my grief over the loss i've recently gone through i look at Am I getting stuck? Like, I call it getting stuck. I want to go through the grief and learn from it and and let it be what I know it needs to be. But I think the difference is, and that can take 
10, 20. It doesn't, there's no time frame on mm-hmm. it. Or am I going to get stuck in the suffering, in the bitterness, in the label? I think those are two different things. Is that, does, you know, is that a way of thinking? Damon, just, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> Between the two, right? Because I really feel like if I can't learn something from this, if I can't continue to to go through what I need to respect my loved one, but getting stuck in the in the bitterness and pain, I think that's where the difference is. Uh, okay, so right, you're talking <laughs> about grief, and yeah. again, that human experience. One of my favorite authors named Byron Katie will often say, "Is it grief or is it love?" Because if we can perceive our grief and our pain and, and truly physically aching because we miss somebody, that is an indication of who you are as a loving person. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. That is a wonderful thing. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. But it, it, it's a beautiful testament to who you are as a human being that you are capable of experiencing such profound feelings for someone who is physically not here. And so we want to respect it. And I think if we just respect those feelings, we don't want to try to make them go away. We don't have to drink them or drug them or distract them away. Right. But if there's ways to just sit with them and say, I don't feel good, but I will respect the experience and understand the testament to who I am, right. then I don't think we get quote-unquote stuck. But I'm not even sure we can get stuck. I'm not even sure I know exactly what that would mean. <laughs> but I think just being present with the feelings. Now, mm-hmm. I wish I had known this in my 20s when I lost so many people to AIDS, because I right. didn't, just like you're saying, I didn't really have a framework for understanding any of this back then, and I made things a lot worse for myself. I suffered a lot more than I really had to, right. because I didn't really have respect for the experience of that soul anguishing grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, we, um, and, and when we're younger and we haven't, you know, had those experiences, I think... And we living in a culture where we don't want to talk about those authentic feelings that mm-hmm. we don't want to be vulnerable. You know, that's our, our biggest thing. I, I will say that uh, a friend of yours, Randy, the author Russell Friedman, from author of the Grief Recovery Handbook, says grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. There are the feelings you you are. They are the feelings you are having, and they are normal and natural for you. The problem is that we've all been socialized to believe that these feelings are abnormal and unnatural. So I think it begins with the permission that we are allowed to hurt and that we don't, we don't have to, it doesn't have to make sense that you are just allowed your feelings in this moment of great loss. Absolutely. You know, the the one thing about uh, grief and, and, and this suffering is that there's no rules. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that people try to compose themselves if I might. Um, Mm -hmm. I met with Russell Friedman. He's a renowned grief author and, and, uh, I told him about the book that I wanted to write. And he says, well, come in and sit down by me and tell me about, uh, tell me about your loss. Tell me about your late wife. And as I started to tell him, I broke into tears and I couldn't get through it. And he put his arm around me and he said, you know, it's a beautiful story and you need to write this book, but it needs to be when you've healed because you're writing a book to help people heal. And you haven't done that yet. You haven't yeah. healed. Um, and, and I, I, I just might mention that Russell, uh, was a wonderful man and he, he passed away last week and I, mm. it's, uh, it's sad, but, um, ironically the book filling empty, 
I had sent to Russell, so he'd have a copy, and, and I'm hoping that his wife right. received it and is able to glean some comfort from right. that. Yeah. And one of the things um, I also want to talk about, I guess in the stuck part, I guess when I say that is when we use, so we talked in the opening about, you know, there are different ways that we choose to cope with grief. Some of them might not be helpful to us. Maybe you self-medicate or you, you cut yourself off from the people around you who love you. Um, and we do a lot of self-destructive behaviors. Um, Damon, from a therapist's point of view, how do you even begin? I know that the f- when, you know, full disclosure, Randy, you brought this book to our attention in August. At that time, I had, and we wanted to do this, I had no idea I was going to lose a friend unexpectedly just a few months later. And so it, it's it's a different kind of look at what's going on. But I know the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted wine to be my best friend. Let's be <laughs> honest. You know, I wanted to, to drink a lot and I wanted to hide in my house and I wanted to eat everything that was comfort food that isn't for my health, uh, good things. How do you, and for me, I finally did reach out to people who loved me and to try to, you know, as I say, claw my way out of the darkness. How... Uh, what are some ways we can help ourselves that maybe, you know, or if we see ourselves going down those paths, Damon, what are some things we need to be aware of and maybe some things we can do that, that, that might be helpful in the coping process instead of getting lost in and things that might be destructive to us? Right. Well, Jonathan, first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank and you. um, if you're comfortable, you may have said this on the show already, but I, I would be interested if you're comfortable in hearing more about that. Sure. Um. But you know, so I don't. But I don't think it's either or. Like I think what you're saying, as far as you know, I used wine to help. I don't think right. that in and of itself is bad or unhealthy. Right. If that's the only tool you're right. using, that can be problematic, and that right. can become a problem. Mm-hmm. But there's many ways we cope with grief, and I um, sometimes distracting oneself by going back to work or writing a book or being really busy is a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, Drinking or even certain drugs can be a tool. So I'm not for or against any of those. But right. by themselves, they don't really help one go with the healing and getting through the process. They right. just kind of distract and move away from it. Ultimately, what we want to do, maybe in tandem with those tools, is find ways to sit with the pain and sit with the love. Because this is really, like I said before, this is about love. Mm-hmm. And then when we do that, eventually, eventually, it starts to transform into something that feels more like acceptance. Not happiness and not joy, but acceptance. Right. Like, it's Which is not the something hardest. I would choose, but it's okay. It's happened. Yeah. yeah. And that might take a lot of time. There's like, you know, Randy said, there's no rule book, there's right. no should. But and we want to just be present with all of that. Right. And I think everybody's grief process is, I mean, I believe 100% it's all different. So it's hard to say that, oh, this is how mine works. So this is how you work. Because I'll say this thought of acceptance, I would say the first few weeks um, were all about how was I going to push off accepting? You know, I, I wanted to stay in that. In the beginning, for me, it was very ambiguous. It was very... I wasn't there. It was unexpected. Uh, so it was my brain found it easier to n- not believe it yet, to not accept it yet. Um, and going to, I th- and like you, Randy, I thought the memorial service would be the hardest. And in the end, it wasn't easy by any means, um, but it wasn't as hard as I expected, you know. But at the minute I started letting 
acceptance like as another week would pass and I still haven't talked to him um those were were the hard parts and so just I'll give the brief overview of you know the fun of what I've and I use that facetiously of course um because humor is how I deal um is I got a phone call October uh it was 5 45 in the morning October 17th uh the day before I had just been texting my friend we had been planning our Netflix night. We were going to have Netflix night because I had been busy, as I tend to be. Um, <clears throat> and so me and my friend were planning. We hadn't seen each other in a couple of weeks. Somehow we got we to we gotta hang out. He was uh, very important to me, very, very close friend of mine. And then I got a call from his sister at 545 in the morning on the day I started my brand new job. And she said words that made no sense. And I thought she was just... I don't know her that well. I thought maybe she's just a horrible human being. Uh, she's not. She's a lovely human being, but I didn't know how to make sense of She said, Tim, my dad found Tim. He passed away last night. And I, I mean, I'm just like, that's the craziest sentence I've ever heard. Tim wasn't sick, you know, all of these things. So I thought, oh, she seems very sweet, but obviously something has got awry because you can't accept it. And then I needed to go to work. Because it's a new job, and I had to figure out a way. And instead, at work, I just snuck away a lot because I was a wreck. I would sneak to my car and cry. I would sneak to the bathroom and cry. I would text poor Sergey, <laughs> who was amazing. Um, and then in this process, what I learned was, because I need to learn something. We had a class to teach for the first time at a college two days, I think, after. Yep. Yes. And, I, and people said, you don't have to do this. And I said, Tim... Loved what I did. He was the most supportive person I've ever known. Um, and he treated me like I was a rock star, you know. And he wanted to go, and he, we had just talked about, he wanted to go to that class so bad. He wanted to be there for that class. And I realized there's, for me, there's no way in hell I'm not teaching this class. It's going to be the hardest thing I ever do, but I'm going to do it. Because I, I'm going to do it because Tim gets to be there. In my brain, I just made it make sense. Tim does get to be there. Worst way possible, there he is. And so my friend, over the next however many weeks it's been, too long, um, I have learned that grief is quite a journey. And at every time you turn around, and we're going to talk a little bit about the things, honestly, that happen during grief. The grief ninjas or landmines, as you call it in your book. Um, uh, the importance of... Excuse me. The importance of having someone and going to Sergei the night Right after work, I had been strong to get through work and going to visit my friend and falling apart and having someone who lets you, just lets you go, just lose your mind. Um, and now this is another unexpected part of that journey of how do we continue this conversation because what we learn, and I, you know, reading your book, it felt very, very the same. The one thing I do know is that grief is a common companion that is always with you, but there are ways each day. And so I want to have the conversation about what grief is like, the little secret things that happen to each of us as we go through it, and how, where we can find some good skills um, to deal, and where sometimes you just don't need skills, and you just, as Damon said, you need to be with the love. You need to stop and let it be part of that moment. Um, and I want us to talk more about that, but I do want to take a quick break song break and when we come back we will talk about the the honesty of what happens in each of our grieving processes and then get some ideas on on what coping even begins to look like 
All right. Great. So <clears throat> we, you guys. we are going to stick take, around, sir. Yes. <laughs> We're not done with you yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to play uh, Hallelujah, and it's a uh, acapella version by Pentatonix here. You are back with KYRS Medical Lake Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is Outspoken. Outspoken receives support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Spokane, serving the community with a non-dogmatic religious environment, welcoming all people, regardless of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, or physical ability. Information online at uuspokane.org or 509-325-6383. Outspoken is funded in part by the Pride Foundation. For more information, visit pridefoundation.org. Outspoken receives support from Nine Bar and Bistro, featuring a full bar, food menu, and trivia on Thursday nights. Located at 232 West Sprague Avenue, more information is available at 509-747-1621. Outspoken receives support from Instant Sign Factory, celebrating 25 years serving the Inland Northwest indoor and outdoor sign needs. More information at 1-877-778-7446 and online at instantsignfactory.com. Well, you are uh, back with the boys. This is one of our uh, Uncomfortable Conversation shows, a, a series of shows that we do throughout the year, talking about subject matter that, as a society, maybe we don't always talk to each other about. We don't like to be real vulnerable, but maybe we should. One of those subjects, of course, is grief. So we're talking with author of the book Filling Empty, Randy C. Watts, as well as our favorite uh, therapist out of Manhattan, Author of the books, absolutely shouldless, and uh, oh, and I've I have to scroll up. Rational relating. Thank you. I always for I even exactly. read that book. Come on, and Jonathan. rational relating, of course. Damon L. Jacobs. We're talking about grief. We uh, before the break, we talked a little bit about uh, you know my personal story. We're talking to Randy about the loss of his wife, and uh, of course, Damon is here as he always is to give words of great wisdom because I. I like follow you everywhere as you, you help us. We've <laughs> talked about self-medicating. I want to start now by talking about this, the act of grief itself. In your book, Randy, you walk through the whole process. Uh, you start by telling us the story of, of your wife and uh, her passing from cancer. And then you get into the, the real life, what you went through during the grieving process. One of the things we've talked about is grief is different for everyone. And as you move forward, the beginning seemed to be a lot about how do I begin to understand my grief? How do I begin to understand its, its place? And you tell a story, an anecdote, and if you could tell it, that'd be great. I uh, earmarked in the book, but you tell a story about the water beetle. Mm -hmm. Would you mind uh, sharing this very apropos uh, analogy of grief? We'll start there. Sure, I'd love to. Um, you know, I think that there's so many... The reason grief is so difficult is there's so many question marks. And uh, sometimes people wonder, their biggest wonder is, is my loved one really dead and gone and that's it? Yeah. Or is there a life hereafter? And that plays a huge role in the way people think and the way they grieve. But uh, I always like to liken it to a colony of water beetles that lived at the bottom of a pond. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, uh, uh, plants growing from the from the the bottom of the pond uh, up to the surface. And every now and then, one of these water beetles would leave his community, and walk up the plant stem to the surface of the water, and no one would ever see him again. All the other beetles thought he was lost and gone forever. And one day, this particular beetle felt compelled 
that it was his time to walk up that stem. And he did. He walked up the plant. And when he got to the top and he broke the surface, he saw the most beautiful, unimaginable world with blue skies and clouds, things that he'd never seen before. And he crawled out onto a lily pad and he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he was a changed, a changed thing. He had wings. He had metamorphosized into this beautiful dragonfly. And he flew around in the freedom of the clouds like he'd never had before. He could move anywhere. All the people down there at the bottom of the pond thought that he was another victim and that he was gone forever. And this, this beetle that had transformed into the, the dragonfly wanted to tell everyone down below, hey, I'm okay. This is a beautiful world. I'm free. But he, in his form, couldn't get down under the yeah. water to let them know. Yeah, and I think it's so many of us as as when you know when you when you go through loss you look for comfort and I found that to be just a beautiful analogy of you know and and one of the things you do in the book which I think is great is the realization that everyone has different belief systems mm-hmm. um, and everybody that's part of your grief that's whatever your belief system is allowed it, everything there are no rules it's all allowed and so it's this. For me, I just choose to believe that that energy changes, and that's my my thing, and that's a beautiful comfort to that. But the truth is, to to allow yourself to begin that process of acceptance in whatever, whether it's spiritual belief or whether it's you know however you choose to do it, I think that's a beautiful thing, and that story for me resonated a lot. And I think you know we all have to find our our ways to cope, and that being one of them. Um, one of the things that is interesting about grief and i used to text sergey from work all the time and because you know you have the days where like oh today's going good oh crap it stopped going good like two seconds after i sent that because (laughs) grief has a way of i call them grief ninjas they come out of nowhere they hit you hard and they're they're out of there and you're left with the aftermath and they come you call them landmines that for during your grief process especially in the beginning there are going to be triggers quote unquote um, that happened, and it's it's beginning to to deal with those is probably one of the first obstacles that I I ran across. Uh, did, did you find that to be true in your your journey? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I began to learn what's going to trigger this grief mm-hmm. and what's not. I would drive blocks and blocks out of my way to not drive by the hospital where my wife passed away, or right. to not drive by the hospice where she eventually uh, made the transition. Um, There's certain songs on the radio or restaurants or TV programs that I I couldn't watch. Right. I had to stay away from them. And and I learned eventually that those needed to be avoided until I was ready to let the healing process go a little further. Right. And gradually I introduced, maybe I could drive by that hospital. You know, and, and I and I allowed the pain to happen because I know that without that, I would never heal and I'd never get better. Right. right. And I know there are two schools of thought, and, and Damon, I want to uh, bring you in on that. There's two schools of thought when it comes to landmines, grief, and just these moments, uh, these triggers that uh, each of us can have. And there's the, the train of thought that it's like full immersion. Face it head on, go right into it, know what's going to happen, and let yourself go go through what what that means or what i call dosing out 
you, you, you're going to give doses and then you're then, okay, that's fine. And then I'm going to take a long time off of that. Oh, and I'm going to let it dose out. Um, from a therapist's point of view, what those are the two trains of thought that I have seen, that I have read, that different ex- experts, quote unquote, talk about grief. But what, I mean, translate that <laughs> to to my brain. Good luck with that, but. <laughs> okay, well, Jonathan, first of all, I want to thank you for, for sharing your experience with Tim earlier. That's, that's really meaningful, and I'm, I'm really touched by that. So I want to thank you for that. And uh, again, with whether it's full immersion or dosing out, it doesn't have to be either or. And if you are still living in the same home or sleeping in the same bed as the person who's passed, you don't really get a choice. You're, you're in right. full immersion mode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're you're there, you're living or working in the same space, you're going to be immersed whether you choose to be or not. So, again, it's it's like we often as Americans want to think like, well, what do we do? What do we right. do? What kind of action can we take? You know, what kind of framework can we use? <laughs> yeah. And it's really been helpful for me to borrow from a lot of those Eastern frameworks of Buddhism and uh, Eastern philosophies, which is not so much about doing but it's so much about whom you're being in relationship to the pain and how you're perceiving physical death. Mm-hmm. In Buddhism, they talk about, you know, we don't, we don't equate death with stopping. Right. And I think that's a valuable tool, whether you're immersed in grief or not. So I'm going to say this. It's the other thing that we, I mean, this is the really hard part about grief, and, and Jonathan, I'm sure you're getting this. You don't get control over this. Like, no. you can't predict it. Mm-hmm. You're going to get hit sometimes, yeah. totally unexpectedly. You're going to hear a song, or see a movie, or smell something, or or eat a food that's going to remind you of him, and it's going to hit you, and, mm-hmm. and you're not going to expect it. And I'm sorry, but that's, you already know what I'm saying here. That's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, there's really no doing there. But what you can do is change your perception of it and change the meaning of it, from, this is so horrible, why is this happening to me, to, okay, this is a testament that Tim is in my heart, and that he is a part of me, and I miss him because I physically can't see him, but he's still present here right now, as evidenced by the pain I'm feeling. Right, right. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, watching Jonathan go through um, everything that's happened in the... the, last few months here it's it's really it is a journey and it's 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 hard to watch sometimes but you know you're you're there and you're supportive but my my question for for both of you is that every day-to-day life after something you know big like that what is that like and what are those you know coping skills like i mean you talk about it in your book uh randy it's the moment of first you know the first christmas um after everything the first you know this the first that and you you talk about those moments of wow i'm experiencing this on my own now and and in that stage of grief still um what is that like and what have been some of the helpful things for you randy and damon that you can uh recommend you know um the reason I, I think that grief ninjas is so apropos, as Jonathan puts it, is because they sneak up on you. You know, I, I would have good days where I'm thinking, hey, you know, I might make it through this. Right. And then and then a song comes on the radio oh. or, or, or I happen to see someone that looks so much like uh, my late wife mm-hmm. and it all starts over again. A, a good friend of mine who lost her husband told me that it was like they were joined at the heart. And then when he passed away, 
they were ripped apart and it left a gaping wound in her chest. And that wound was open and weeping for so long, but it would start to heal and it would scab over. But right when she thought that it was going to be healed and get better, it Mm -hmm. broke open again when one of these grief triggers hit her, uh, one of these landmines, as I call them, uh, so unexpectedly, and then the healing started all over again. Uh, Day to day, um, you know, the, the, the first few weeks was nonstop. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. One of the things that, and, and the book Filling Empty, and it's filling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, not feeling empty. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think it's feeling empty, but it's how to fill your empty heart. And the three messages that I want to get across is that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, 55, 56 million people die each year. And, 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 and so many people go through this and, and you feel like you're the only one, <clears throat> you feel like you're the only one that's lost a best friend and mm-hmm. no one could be hurting as much as you are, but you're not alone. The other point that I want to make is that your loved ones haven't gone far. Mm-hmm. The energy is still near or the spirit is still near, whatever your belief system is. And it manifests itself regularly if you allow it, if you let it and you listen carefully You'll get those manifestations, and you'll, you'll, you'll know that your loved one is near. And then the most important one is that you'll be happy again. Ha- you know, it seems like there's no light at the end of that grief tunnel. But I promise that if you hang in there and don't take the route of mm-hmm. ending it all, which, mm-hmm. listen, that crossed my mind time right. after time. Right. But if you hang in there and you allow it, Happiness will find you again. Um, And and it certainly found me. And I'm a very, very happy man now. And and with a wonderful relationship. Mm -hmm. But there was a time where I thought I would never be happy again. But that's far from the truth. Yeah. And I I have to say, it's been a, you know, I don't know how life works or, or all those things. But, you know, I talked about how your book came in August. Didn't know what was coming. Uh, we had a show with Brene Brown, uh, or about Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, which was about vulnerability and uh, allowing vulnerability. And I feel like those lessons started coming together for a very important thing. And we talk about dealing daily, um, and I want to talk about what it's survivor's guilt in a minute. But one of the things that I found was helpful that is the hardest thing for me to do, Damon mentioned controlling. I'm a control freak, so to have to go through something that is so you don't get control is was even it was just horrendous and one of the things though i committed to myself was daily there are still days i know you know some people tell me it's been two months well you who say that don't you know you don't really get to say how long it's gonna it's just it's gonna be what it is for me um and i have learned to accept that but one of the things i learned was to allow myself to be vulnerable especially to those who i trust and so, and I always, it's funny because I always end up apologizing to Sergey, because when those moments come, I know for me, I need to, if I need to say it, I'm going to say it to the one person that I'm going to trust not to tell me to shut up. He, he could if he wanted to, but he doesn't. And I think for me, having someone to be vulnerable to has made all the difference and i know in the second hour what i want to talk to sergey about is what's it like from the outside looking in what's it like to say you know you you know to be what we should be with each other you know uh, the great circle of life should be about lifting each other up when some of us can't be up and so that in the time those people need lifted up 
we might have the strength to do that mm-hmm. as well. And Sergey has done that so well. But it was this agreement with myself that I will be vulnerable, that I will allow someone in because I isolate very easily. Mm-hmm. And it's the first thing you want to do. You talk about, you were talking about movies and things. I still cannot sit through a movie. That's too much length of time that anything could happen where I have to focus. Cause if that movie has something hiding in it, I don't want to be there. So I can watch 30 minute episodes of a documentary yeah. <laughs> or here's a sitcom, but I still can't watch a movie. And because the trigger for me is Netflix night and all of that, that interesting thing or texting Sergey and saying, right in this moment, I'm not okay. And I need someone to know that. And I need it to be you, even though, you know, you don't want, you know, I'm still a control freak, but I know at least he'll be nice. <laughs> so <laughs> I do it, but I would say the acceptance and the agreement that it's okay to be vulnerable is so helpful in the coping process, mm-hmm. uh, is that vulnerability. Yeah. Damon, during this time of year, when not only is it hard just being this time of year, but when people go through loss this time of year tends to magnify it. Um, what, is, what role do you think vulnerability or having someone to reach out to plays uh, you know, in our mental health during this, these times like these? Oh, it, it is essential. It is so essential. And again, Jonathan, I'm, I'm so glad that you're articulating this and really letting us experience this with you. Um, I, I know for Randy, this is a really hard week. And similarly for me, December 13th, you know, so anniversaries. It's oh, really yeah. important to be reminded of. And I know December 16th was an anniversary for Randy, um, in the loss of Melinda, and for me, December 13th is the loss of somebody who I love dearly, who died of AIDS in the 90s, oh. so that was 18 years ago. Oh. December 13th is always a difficult day, mm-hmm. and it always will be, and that's okay, right? right. That's a day that I know I'm not going to feel my best, or I may be heavy, or I may feel down, or I might feel foggy, or I might be tired. Right. And having people in my life who know that, who I can share that with, who also knew my friend who died, his name is John, um, spelled J-H-A-N, because he would want me to clarify that. Nice. Um, <laughs> you know, people who knew him, and, you know, just saying, hey, how you doing? Like, you know, some years we will just connect and we'll say, hey, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. That is so important in terms of sharing this. And I think, regardless of your belief system, every culture, every religion throughout humanity has had some sort of ritual around connecting with other people mm-hmm. in times of grief and loss. And that is so essential to being present and being reverent of these feelings that we're having when we're having them. Do not, I, I would say there's very few shoulds and there's no rules, but mm, right. do not isolate, do not right. alienate if you can. Um, as Jonathan said so beautifully, you know, let yourself be vulnerable. Have a Sergey in your life who you can talk to. <laughs> and also, you know, that wound that, that Randy spoke of, which is absolutely, you know, there's just, you know it. I don't have to describe it because we all know it. If you, when you've shared your soul with somebody and that person dies, you will feel a gaping wound. And I've learned that that's really horrible that because you feel like a part of yourself has died. But mm-hmm. here's the good news that I've learned over time. The good part, the silver lining here, is that you did lose a part of yourself when that person died, but then you also gained part of them mm-hmm. in your soul. And I cannot tell you now how many times that I have either been doing a talk or a speech, and like some phrase came out of my mouth that totally wasn't me. It's like, I don't know 
what part <laughs> of my brain that came from? That was like, and I was like, oh, wait, that was John right there. That is absolutely something John would have said. Yeah. I wouldn't have said that, but it was his wording. It's the way he saw it. And that occasionally, you know, the people I've lost who are gone, they'll, they'll sneak up on me every now and then when I'm not expecting it in a good way in right. terms of something I say or, or the way something comes out in a, in a presentation. So a part of me was gone when they left, but a part of them is now part of me. And I think that is the beauty of this whole connection grieving process that yeah. we go through over these years. Exactly. And I think, you know, that, that reminds me of part of your book. You have a whole section in your book, Randy, where you talk about uh, love notes. Um, those moments where you're like, that I totally, that just came out of my mouth. That totally was, you know, that person, that person that I've lost. Totally that moment. And moments that you you begin to accept. One of the things um, I was so mm -hmm. talked Sergey about, I was desperate, really, is that I wanted to know that Tim was there. And he... And it wasn't happening, and I wanted it, you know, soon, and other people would, his family would share stories, and I'm like, why isn't that story mine? I want, and I was so caught in this, I need to know that he's, and then one night, one night I had a dream, and I was at Tim's house, and we were, I was with his family, and we were packing up his stuff, and I was crying, and in the, the corner, there was Tim, and he was just sitting there. No one else seemed to see him, but there he was. And I walked over to him because I need, it was time for me to go. And he hugged me and he simply said, I love you. And I talked to Sergey the next day and I said, and that's all I needed. That moment. But you talk about, you know, as even Damon talks about, he'll say something and it's like, hey, that's John. That's my friend John. You talk about in your book, the moments. Oh, those love notes. You know, my, <clears throat> my spine is tingling mm -hmm. from my head to the bottom of my back as you as you say that and and by the way I, i'm so very sorry for both you and and to damon for the loss of your friends and you understand i know that uh when i lost melinda i was desperately seeking listening ears you know i, I i'm almost um shocked to hear myself say this but i walked the cemetery in mesa arizona looking for headstones where a husband had lost a wife mm -hmm. and it, you know, it was very evident. Uh, and, and I actually contacted a few of those people. I needed to speak to someone who knew exactly what I was going through right. and I needed their assurance. Um, I needed to know that, that they made it through. Yeah. But, <clears throat> uh, regarding, well, now I've it slipped me. What the love notes? The those love moments notes from heaven. Those you know, moments, yeah. I, I believe with all of my heart, and and this isn't just a desperate hope. I actually know for a fact because I've been through it and I've experienced it. We want, we seek those signs. We want to hear from our loved ones, oh, yeah. and and I hear it all the time. People say, "Well, their family had this experience, or right. or their friend had this experience. What about me?" Mm -hmm. And it usually happens when we least expect it. And by the way, your dream, I, th I don't think was just a dream. Yeah. I, think that, I think that Tim was really visiting you and let you know that. And it's a very common way that they communicate mm -hmm. with us because our physical bodies aren't capable of receiving that message, especially right. in our waking state. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I told Sergey in a text message, I tend to be a very logical uh, I like to be very logical. And so I told him, listen, I've decided I don't care if I'm crazy. I choose to believe that was Tim, and I'm okay with that. And, that, and those are those moments when you're in grief that 
You don't have to make you don't have to make excuses for it. You don't have to do anything. You know, you're fine. And so, yeah, I agree with you there completely. Yeah. Every time one of these special love notes happened, mm-hmm. and, you know, from the time I was four years old, I've been blessed to be very intuitive. The veil has been very thin for me. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of experiences that, you know, people would find maybe even tough to believe when it comes to the spirit world and, and, and communication. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's when you allow yourself to listen let those love notes be dropped from heaven. It may be an mm-hmm. it may be a letter you find from Tim, or it may be it may be a, a special song that just happens to come over the radio at the exact weirdly right. coincidental time. You know, uh, I had the uh, opportunity of meeting and becoming friends with James Van Prague, mm-hmm. who always said that coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. <laughs> and and I, I firmly believe that there are no coincidences when right. it comes to this spiritual right. uh, communication. And it's okay not to even uh, just let them be. You don't have to define it if that's a thing, you know, but let those moments, you know, it's part of the healing is mm. what I think. It's part of the healing process, the, the, the finding your, your, the little notes, the, the little notes yeah. through <laughs> and the, the reminders. Yeah. Right. And one of the th- other things I want to talk about before we, we take another break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about what it's like to, to be on the other side looking in. So I want to talk to Sergey a bit about that is um, this concept of survivor's guilt. And it, it comes in different forms. It can come in. Why was it? Why was it them and not me? I, it should have been me. It shouldn't have been there. Um, or just feeling guilty about the should have been quote unquote should have been the mm-hmm. might have been or what I had a lot of guilt in the very, very beginning about not having not making the time for that Netflix night sooner. I couldn't have ever known, but in that, in those moments right after the sheer guilt and weight of that guilt. So let's talk about survivor's guilt a bit that you talk a bit about in your book as well. What was that experience for you? You know, you tend to think about everything that you have ever said that may have hurt the feelings of the person that, mm-hmm. that left. Uh, you know, and the survivor's guilt, my gosh, I had made financial plans for me to go first mm-hmm. because my wife was in total physically perfect shape. Right. You know, she worked out two hours a day. She she ate right. I never saw her eat sugar. Yeah. And then there's me at, you know, two two and a quarter pounds uh, walking around sitting and writing for hours and hours a day. And I just figured I was going to go first. Right. But they say that if you want to make God laugh, tell him you've got a plan. <laughs> because right. it, it never it never really, the plans don't go the way you right. figure they're going to go. Right. So all the, uh, all the arrangements that I made were for not in that particular situation because right. Melinda went before me. Yeah. And, and so I started thinking about all the times that I've ever hurt her feelings, right. anything that I did, maybe she wanted something and I didn't get it for her. And I, you know, you start to feel guilty about things yeah. that you would have never even thought about if right. they were still alive. And it's almost like we want to, we're, we're punishing ourselves and, and want us to feel even worse. You know, it's almost like, like that kind of thing. Damon, as people have with survivor's guilt or they have those moments of, why didn't I do this? They, you kick yourself. Sergey likes to say to me a lot, and because I'm not good at taking the advice, which is you need to have some grace with yourself because I will kick myself 5,000 times for something I wish I would have done when I know good and well that that can't change now. 
that time has passed. How do you help people who have who are going through that aspect of grief? Well, okay, we want to honor that, but at the same time, be investigative and challenging. Because mm-hmm. behind uh, all guilt is a should, and you guys just yes. said that. Yeah. I mean, you just said that beautifully. For there real. cannot be guilt without should. Mm-hmm. And we actively want to challenge and change the should, which lead us to suffer. Now, in this case, I don't really experience survivor's guilt. I've lost a lot of people right. with HIV and AIDS. I don't have any guilt about that whatsoever. I, I miss them greatly, but I certainly don't have any guilt about that, because A, what... It certainly won't make my life um, any pleasure, any more meaningful, and right. it won't make their death any more meaningful either. Mm-hmm. What I do with that, and, and what you guys have seen me do over the years, and Randy, I'm not sure you know, but I, I speak very, very openly and explicitly about sexuality, yep. specifically about an HIV prevention strategy called PrEP, pre-exposure yeah. prophylaxis, and I was the first person to publicly do that in such yeah. an open way. And what you guys don't know is that that's because of John. That's because of Chris Bender, Mm -hmm. two of my very best friends in the world, who are not here. That's because of so many people I lost to AIDS Mm -hmm. who aren't here to give that information. I channel them. I speak to them. I get courage from them. I get strength from them. Mm -hmm. And that's not guilt for me. That's about making this loss and this pain palpable and meaningful and propels me to want to use that so that I can make this world a more loving, compassionate, fun, and informed place. Mm -hmm. Right? But that's not about... I don't do that from a place of guilt. Right. I do that from a place of love and and gratitude that I got to share some time in this physical plane with some of these beautiful people. Right. So I really want to challenge and change the shoulds. And, And Jonathan... You know, again, this is the kicker here. You don't have any control. Right, and right. And if you weren't on the radio, I'd use a, prof- uh, a <laughs> word of profanity right here. How you don't dare have you, sir? Fill in the blank, control. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes when you want to say, when your mind plays this game of, if I had only done this, right. if I only said this, if I had only done that, that's sort of a defense against this notion is that you did not have control. <laughs> right. And I'm sorry, because that's pretty horrible to say, but right. it's true, mm-hmm. and I think that might be, in the long run, an easier option than beating yourself over the head right. by thinking you could have done something or said something different to have the outcome be different, because right. you could not have done that. Right, right. I agree, and it's funny, it's a very it's a dichotomy in me. I, want, I, I would say for the three of us, I think, you know... Uh, like uh, Damon, you were talking about going out, talking about sexuality so openly, talking about prep, and Randy, you writing this book, feeling empty. And then I have said a million times, I can't go through pain if I don't feel like I can do something to help someone else with it. Because to do it all in vain is I can't find it. And so I have this dichotomy of I want to do these conversations. I want to continue to do the work that Tim was so excited and supportive about. And then the balance of Sergey reminding me constantly that for these other things, you need to to allow yourself some grace. Like, grant grace to you as much as you grant it to other people. Um, and it's important that there's that voice in the back of my head. So I do love when, when we choose to take pain and do something that's helpful. And, and like I always say, destruction only begets destruction. It's within creation that lies mm-hmm. life, that we can build something new than to allow ourselves to remain destroyed. Um, so I think that's amazing, and I celebrate that with everybody that's here today. Um, but I think the 
biggest thing I could tell anybody is exactly what Sergey says to me. In those moments where you kick yourself and you try to punish yourself because apparently you don't feel bad enough um, about what's going on, allow yourself some grace. The grace mm-hmm. in, the, in the acceptance that everything was as it should be. You are loved and you are fine. And that, as Damon said, there's nothing that would have changed what happened. It just is. So just be grateful for the time we had with those people that we loved so much. I do want to take another quick break, and then we'll put Sergey in the hot seat for a little bit. Oh, boy. I feel like the three <laughs> of us, fun. you know, we need you, we deserve to put him in it for now. So. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you, Jonathan. You're um, so welcome. You're so welcome. Um, so this is going to be a song by Kenneth Mogan, um, and this is It Was Love. You are back with KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is Outspoken. And I love that phrase in that song, it was love. Um, you know, Damon has said it many times in this last in this past hour, which is, that's what it is. Your, your grief is really just an outcropping of love. I mean, we wouldn't, if we hadn't loved so much, as we talked about in one of the breaks, if we hadn't loved so much, we wouldn't mm-hmm. grieve as much. So it's really this double-edged sword, but I wouldn't trade one because I wouldn't have had the other, right. you know? One of the things I want to bring up right now is this, this it's not easy to, to love someone and watch them go through pain. It's not easy. And, you know, some people choose not to. And, you know, everybody makes decisions that they are what they are. I do believe greatly that the decision to say when it gets really hard or to be there, um, I have a lot of respect for that. And so... Uh, so I want to talk to you, Sergey. First, mm-hmm. I want to start by saying thank you, because what a beautiful thing that is for someone, because it gets ugly, and as I say, gross, it gets gross, um, and it doesn't make sense, and it's just a lot of tears, and ugh, it's just, please, I cry at the drop of a snowflake. I mean, I just, <laughs> just that person, and you stayed there, you let me fall apart in your arms at the very beginning, and from that point forward, you were there even if it was the 15 millionth time I needed to tell you, oh, so this thing happened and reminded me of Tim and now I'm crying, you know, because you're going to have repeats. If you're going through grief, mm-hmm. it's just part of, you know, the same thing is going to hurt. You know, it just is a thing and it doesn't matter. There's no rules to it. But from the outside looking in, you're a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been through life. I mean, it's not sure. like life has been uh, walked down a rosy path, but... You're dealing with your awesomely young friend, Jonathan, <laughs> um, looking at the outside, being on the other side. Mm-hmm. First of all, what can you say about that? And what would you say to people who are, are trying to be supportive? Well, <clears throat> you know, Jonathan, you, you said it, it. It is a hard um, situation. And, it, and it not just because, you know, I'm watching one of my closest friends um, go through something so difficult. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for you. It's hard for me. It's, it's, it's a really tough situation, um, no matter how you look at it. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, as someone I haven't, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, not have a personal loss as, as, you know, as monumental as this. Um, I've, I've had, you know, friends that passed out and, uh, passed away in high school. I wasn't very close to them. And, um, of course you and I had a few, uh, friends that passed away in the, in the past years that never, you know, really stood up to, um, this kind of loss, but you know, it's, it's that acceptance of, I don't know what you're going through. I, and, and even if I did, I would never know the relationship that you and Tim had. I would have never, you know, understood that connection because that's yours Mm -hmm. and that's you and him and you had that and that's beautiful. Um, and so to say, 
it's okay, Jonathan, I understand, isn't necessarily true or helpful. Um, and so for the, I mean, the first moment that you um, called me and uh, told me, and, you know, that day kind of froze a little bit for me because, you know, you were in my thoughts the whole time. And um, I just want to make sure you were okay and, um, you know, taking care of yourself. And from that moment forward, it was all about, you know, whenever you need me, you tell me I'm here and it's just listen and support. It's the moment of, you know, you coming <laughs> to to my apartment after work um, and uh, just that moment of crying and hugging and it probably lasted 20 minutes and that's, it, you know, that's that's what it is. That's what it needs to be. And, you know, it's it's support. That's all it is. I, I mean, I don't have any answers. Right. I don't have anything that can say to wipe everything away. I can't revive right. anybody. Right. Um, and so it's just support. And anybody who is in the the position of, you know, the, the support system, that's all. There's there's nothing to it except listen, be there. And, I mean, you, so many times you've told me what you needed. And sometimes that's a, hey, check in on me today. I'm not doing well. Sometimes it's, hey, we need to go out to coffee. Right. And sometimes it's, hey, can I come over? I just, I just need right. <laughs> and so I need it, to invade that, your space. That's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing else to it. And. I just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of your life too in that way. Um it it's it's just amazing to share that with You're you. You're killing me here, dude. You're killing <laughs> me here. <laughs> but thank you for that. Damon, yeah. as people who are what can you give as advice to people who are the support system? They are, you know, the ones on the outside just wanting to be helpful to someone going through pain. Mm. Um, what would you say to people who, who find themselves in that, that place? Well, I'd say listen to this show because I think there's a lot of great advice here. And I think Sergey is a beautiful example of someone who was able to be available to you, even though he couldn't do anything or change the situation. And maybe at times, even some of the helplessness that we all feel mm-hmm. is that there's nothing I can do. Yeah. So when there's nothing you can do, the next thing to ask yourself is, who can I be? Because in those moments, like Sergey's saying, you know, you, th- there's nothing to do. But right. by being a human being and a source of friendship and love and support and guidance, that's all we need at those times. We don't need someone to fix everything, especially when there's nothing to fix. Right. But it's just a matter of being a presence, of just being that human connection that no computer or phone or technological robot will ever replace that sacred human experience. That's what we need in those moments. And I think a lot of people, especially in America, are are freaked out by death because they always say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I know somebody's hurt, but I don't know what to do. And that's Mm -hmm. what I always say. It's not what you do. It's who you choose to be. Mm -hmm. I love that concept of who you choose to be mm -hmm. in this moment. Um, Randy, in your book, you talk about relationships that you've had. People, you even mentioned it in in a story earlier about wanting to reach out to someone who maybe can connect and understand how important uh, were, was your support system and what was your support system as you went through this? That, that was my support system was to find someone who could, I would never find someone who could understand. As a matter of fact, something that Sergey said that was so insightful was that I haven't lost anyone 
of that magnitude. And if I had, I still wouldn't know mm -hmm. the relationship that you had. You know, I could talk to people all day. No one will ever know exactly what I felt like. And it, um, but I did reach out to those who had lost a, a partner mm -hmm. or, or a spouse. I wanted to know what they did. I wanted to know if I would be happy again. Right. I wanted, I wanted their insight <clears throat> on what I could do to get me through this. And, you know, it used to, I, I remember I went to a grief support group one time seeking that very thing, listening and understanding and empathetic ears. And uh, they went around the circle of people who were grieving. And I mm -hmm. understand that everyone grieves for different reasons. Right. I understand that. But in my mind, nobody hurt as much as I hurt. Right. And when someone was there at the grief support group because their pet had died, right. mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. right. Your pet is nothing compared to my spouse. But that was wrong thinking on my part because that pet may have been everything that they had. Right. That pet may have been their best friend in the world. Yeah. yeah. And I and I came to learn that um that people grieve tremendously uh, at the loss of a best friend or or mm -hmm. um an aunt that was like a mother to them. Yeah, or, right. Uh, and what I needed was exactly what Sergey and um uh, and Damon just emphasized. I needed someone who could listen to me and cry with me. Yeah. Who could yeah. put their arms around me and just tell me they loved me. They couldn't tell me they'd understand. You know, someone came up at my late wife's funeral, came up to me and put their hand on my shoulder and said, I understand what you're going through. I just lost my 99-year-old aunt. Right, right. Well, you know, that's, and, and I expressed my sorrow for that, but they don't understand what I'm going through. No right. one can understand exactly what I'm going through. I need them to hold me and say, I love you and I'm here for you. Yeah, and that's all. It's, that's it's, it. it's Damon says it's in, in, it happens a lot in our culture, but this need to answer it. This need to fix it. This need to, my control freaky way of, I like action plans. <laughs> my favorite thing in the world is an action plan because I want to do something that is forward momentum. But in grief, making sure that you are allowing yourself to go through it is your forward momentum, mm -hmm. even though it feels horrible it feels like you're being you know you're s letting yourself get stuck as i said earlier and it's not that's not what it says it's not what it means um but this concept that grief is comes out of great love and each of us has great love in different ways love has so many definitions love has and that's okay and i think one of the things you said sergey is true because you're just being all one of the things i can say to anybody as you've said as well, Randy, to anybody who's of support, the one of the best things Sergey has ever given me is he's always just been there. That's sometimes it's just be he doesn't say a word and it's just he's right there and I'm going through whatever I need to go through, crying or whatever it is, or listening to me forever. He's just there. And that's it's I think we don't believe an answer can be that simple. That our loved one is hurting and they just need need you there that's it you know we don't have to define it we don't have to say it we don't have to compare it because i think for a, in the beginning before the the memorial we had for tim i kept telling sergey i have to be ready because i need to be strong for his family because i don't have a right to my grief because they must be hurting 
10 times more than I am. You know, I wanted to be strong for his mother and I'll feel guilty in moments where his mom will send me a note and she's being so sweet and supportive to me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to flip this because I need, but it's not, it, there is no comparison in grief and we don't even need to waste our energy in having the comparison. We just need to learn mm-hmm. to be with each other. I think, I think that is important. Damon, in ways that people deal with grief, you know, Randy just mentioned support groups. Um, is that something you find helpful for people as well, is for them to reach out, if that's the way that that is, you know, helpful to them? You know, that is so individual, but I will be honest with you. It, I don't really know how valuable support groups are mm-hmm. when when there's differences. I mean, I think when it's kind of like everybody was losing their friends to AIDS and everybody right. was in a sort of similar situation, right. I think they were very helpful. But I, I think exactly how Randy described what generally happens is, you know, you go to a support group hoping to find some of that kind of support that, that Sergey was offering you. And, and you just, you, there's a disconnect often because different people are experiencing different levels of grief under different circumstances in different ways. And I've had more people say to me than not, you know, that really wasn't so good. That really right. wasn't so helpful. <laughs> right. So I don't think there's any, you know, harm in, in trying one. And if it does help you, that's wonderful. But I'd say that is certainly, I, I wouldn't ask anyone to count on a support group as, as uh, right. a, a major tool mm-hmm. for, for coping and healing through them. Right, exactly. And what was your experience, Randy, with support groups? Did oh, you... yeah, yeah, if I may. Yeah. And I think Damon hit it right on the head. The first support group I went to was, you know, the person that lost their dog, and then there was the, you know, they lost these distant relatives. There was nobody there that had lost a spouse recently. I didn't want, I didn't want anything to do with that support group because I right. felt like such an outsider, mm-hmm. and I really did feel like, I was the one hurting the most. Right, right. However, um, I was blessed to find a support group for people who had lost their spouse mm-hmm. within the last two years. Yeah. And there I found comfort and solace and and that there were a certain group of us that bonded who who really were there for one another mm-hmm. and could really have empathy for one another. Right. None of us could understand what the other one's going through, but we, we were there and, and we had empathy for them because we right. were passing through the same thing. Right. And so I think Damon hit it on the head. You know, Some support groups aren't going to do you much good, right. but there are some that all have a common factor that are really, it was so cathartic for me to right. sit in that group. And when the group ended, because it was only a six-week thing, right. when it ended, we kept we kept it up. We kept going. Well, you know, they went the the quote unquote appropriate six weeks. Yeah, where is that? <laughs> what? Which what I think came up is with that. I love that. That I mean, listen, I respect efficiency, and I would love a six week course in getting over this. But I that does it still strikes me as so funny. Six so, weeks was just long enough, right? To 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 hurt. Right. Really bad. Right. See, you know. poor poor Damon has been with this show for almost a year, so he already knows that it's <laughs> it's a way longer process with these crazy people. Yeah. I'm just saying. Five, six oh, years. See, listen to him. He's like, you know, yeah, true. And, and that is, I find, a very unique American concept that there is a time limit or right. a six-week plan for grief. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, no, we look historically cross-culturally. That's simply not the case in cultures and places in the world where people respect and have reverence for the experience of grief. Right. And I told you, I lost John 18 years ago, yeah. and I miss him, and I love yeah. him, and I lost my friend Chris six years ago. So talk about six weeks. Right. I miss Chris, and it's six years. Yeah. But again, where I find that there's... Um, there's a it's sort of layered now with with a layer of gratitude because it's been transformed into something that has helped me become the human being I am today, the human who talks to you once a month about sexuality on this yeah. show, the human being yeah. who can go and talk to hundreds of people around the world about certain things because I've transformed this grief into something that I wish to help others. I would not be that person who is capable of being doing these things mm-hmm. if I had not experienced this level of grief and pain for yeah. so many years. And I really want people to remember that and hear that. Yeah, right. I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to go through pain, but I can tell you, I am, I'm in a way grateful for it because I certainly could not do or be the person I am today without it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it, it can, if we choose, as I said in the, the opening, at the beginning of the show, uh, it can be a time of growth, of gratitude, of healing, if we allow that to be part of it. Mm-hmm. I want to remind all of our listeners we are speaking to the author of Filling Empty, uh, Randy C. Watson. And of course, uh, Damon L. Jacobs, the uh, therapist we love having on all the time. He is the author of Absolutely Shitless and Rational Relating. Um, as we talk about an uncomfortable conversation, which is about grief, right. part of the uncomfortable process is as you've stated and alluded to, Randy, is this time when you will be happy again. This time, and it is a, I, a, this transition, I can imagine, process of, oh, I'm allowed. I am allowed to have things come from this. I am allowed to live again. I am allowed to, to accept that my life doesn't have to be lived. Constant sadness that, that this person is always going to be a part of my existence and my missing of them, as Damon has stated, is always going to be there, but that we are allowed to grow as human beings and continue life. You, you mentioned yourself, you know, you are in, in a beautiful relationship. What is that transition and how hard was that moment of realizing you can move forward? I have, I have some very close friends, uh, one particular, who lost their spouse and have maintained and retained the title of widow, grieving mm-hmm. widow. Mm-hmm. They are not allowing themselves happiness. And they feel like if they do, that their loved one above or around right. or the energy will be disappointed that they're happy. Right. Because, because you know, they need to stay sad and grieving. and Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe that these spiritual beings or this energy wants nothing more than for us to be happy on the earth. They want us to continue. They want, like Damon said, they want us to have learned from our experiences with them yeah. and, and share it with the world. Mm-hmm. And, and my experience has been that, you know, I, I compare in the book, I compare the grief or, or, or the healing to uh, an antibiotic. Um, you know, there's a virus in your body, and sometimes we find that by introducing that actual thing into our system, it helps our body right. develop uh, uh, an immunity to mm-hmm. it. And th- then we can give ourselves the full dose, and, and we're protected from that. Right. And in my search for happiness and for that light at the end of the grief tunnel, 
I have, you know, in the, in the first few years, I had to slowly inject some of those memories, allow mm-hmm. that TV show to be watched right. or, or go back to that restaurant. Yeah. <clears throat> it helped me greatly to find another love who I could take with me on that journey right. and, uh, and who is willing to, you know, and, and that's a whole other subject, by the way, as, uh, when you find another partner or another loved right. one, will they accept your grief? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's, that's a very common challenge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully the person that you're with that is gaining that happiness with you will gradually be able to accept that you did love that person, but I, I really right. emphasize that there's plenty of love to give. There's another person that can come into your life and, 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 and you can give them just as much love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, love is, a, is not a finite resource. It's infinite. Right. Right. So in my quest for happiness and to be happy again, one of the most important things that happened to me was to find someone to love who I know that Melinda is very, right. very happy for me that right. I found someone to carry on with, right. to, uh, to have a relationship. And, and, but it, it, it was in steps. You know, I, I don't mean to wander here, but it was in steps. I, I allowed myself more and more mm. to expose myself to these grief landmines yeah. uh, or grief triggers, and, uh, and I became immune. You know, I can now watch uh, uh, that particular TV show right. without constantly thinking, Hey, we used to watch this, right? Um, because I am now um, immune to that. But that doesn't mean that I don't. Well, I won't always think about and love and and be grateful for the time that I had mm-hmm. with Melinda here on the Earth. Yeah. Because I learned so much, and I'm I'm continuing to learn by sharing with others and trying to help them know. Don't don't fall, don't fall into the pit. Right. Um, you know, uh, there's a way out. It's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You'll be happy again. And I promise yeah. that. And I promise every listener, if you allow yourself to go through this process that, uh, that we're talking about, there will be happiness again. But you have to give yourself permission. Be you happy. And, you, you know, back to grace. You have to allow yourself the grace that you are allowed, that this yes. is okay, mm-hmm. and that living and moving forward doesn't mean you don't love or respect or... You know, th- it doesn't lessen what they were to you. Um, but I think it comes in moments of grace, moments of you just don't have the epiphany one day and you're like, I'm good. Everything's great <laughs> and I can move forward. But you have the moments and each time the moment comes up, allow yourself some self-love there. Allow yourself that it's OK. And it is, you know, that I- if you need to believe it in that way, that they it is a moment where they are granting you permission to move forward as well. I think that's important. As we uh, wind down the second hour, I want to ask, Randy, if you could tell people anything, people going through something like this, if you could give them one parting thought, what would you say to them? You know, one parting thought, I, I could actually give them 10,000 parting thoughts, <laughs> but, uh, but the one parting thought is that I know for a fact, and I believe with all my heart, that your loved ones are still near that they're, they're watching over you uh, or their energy is with you and that they want more than anything for you to be happy here on the earth. So go, go about your life. Allow yourself to heal. Don't take on the title of the griever. Allow happiness to come into your life and you will be happy again. 
And when you are, you can talk about that loved one and mm. smile right. rather than shed tears. Mm -hmm. And when that's happened, I think you can consider yourself healed. You'll never forget. You'll, yeah. never, you'll never disregard the love you had for them. But you can heal from the pain of grief, and it, and it will happen. Awesome. And Damon, what would you say, what would you like as, your, as a thought for everyone who might be dealing with grief in their life right now? Again, getting back to this idea that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And you want to reduce suffering, get rid of the word should, get rid of the word normal, because those words are intended to prolong and exasperate, exacerbate your suffering. Yeah. And they, they, they're not really helpful in this process. I can tell you at 45 years old, <laughs> after having lost so many people at a young age, that I can see now that the ability to enjoy my life, to experience joy, is in direct proportion to how much pain I have experienced at certain points. Yeah. So that there is meaning in that. There is a balance in that. That the pain that I have been through... And I've heard this, again, from many others, that the pain that we allow ourselves to experience when we lose and love someone is in direct proportion to how we can experience higher levels of joy and gratitude and appreciation in other parts of life. And it's not linear, and it's not going to, you know, it goes back and forth. I am sure that I will have pain again, as yeah. long as I'm living in this world and loving people. Right. But now I understand that perspective, too. The pain does get balanced out with the ability to experience joy. Yeah. What, and that's a, a very beautiful thing mm -hmm. to keep in mind, especially for that. Sergey, if you could tell anyone, especially, you know, those in the supportive roles, if you could say anything, what would you tell them? Um, well, anyone suffering, suffering, I think I would say, you know, what I tell you all the time, have grace and have kindness towards yourself. Be, be, be gentle and kind to yourself. Um, and then, of course, I mean, support role just be there just listen just love yeah. that's it's really simple um uh, and it's a hard time it's it's hard hard to deal with but everything you do is simple right. um just be there and then jonathan why don't you also here close i've something? got a closing thought yeah. i will tell you this we all know i'm a control freak i've said it yeah. for three years on this show i've said how much i love to control yeah. and plan and for three years um the, the listeners gotten to know you and i mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the things we've always been is as authentic as we can and to share, Hey, it's share our, our silly, yeah. our fun, always. our serious, we've shared it all. And I don't regret the public knowing that part of our relationship and our friendship. One of the things I learned this year, uh, was vulnerability. This, this act of being vulnerable, Tim helped me learn he was, he, I always tell people he snuck in. He wasn't supposed to be such a close part of my heart because I don't let that happen. But that boy was persistent. That boy asked me to coffee five bazillion times until I just was worn down and I went. And then I regret nothing from that point forward because I learned what a beautiful gift that could be. And in his passing, with you, Sergey. He has continued to teach me that friendship is probably the most amazing and breathtaking gift we can give ourselves. And I am forever grateful for you to the day I die. And listen, we have a pact. We die the same day. We have about 70-something. <laughs> it's going to be, I'm 112 yeah. and you are not. <laughs> you are younger than me. And, um, but I am, I, what I realize every day now is mm. how lucky 
how lucky I am to have allowed people in my heart when for years I blocked them out. And Tim helped me with that lesson, and you continue to teach me every day. So I, I beseech everyone out there, and whether you're going through grief or whether you know it's hard to let people in, do it, do it. Because the grief is a price you pay for great love, and great love is worth it every time. So uh, on that, we'll come back and kind of, kind of, uh, you know, close up the show. But we're going to take a quick break, so I, you know, pull myself together, and uh, and then we'll bring it up. But um, definitely, thank you both, Randy and Damon, for being here in this important conversation oh, and my you. and my therapy session. So I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. All right, and this is Alex Newell with This Ain't Over. You are back with KYRS Medical Lake Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This was Uncomfortable Conversations. We talk about grief. And this show may be over, but this conversation is far from over. It ain't over. When it comes to the uncomfortable conversations we have on the show, they are always things that we hope will just inspire you to continue it in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Grief is something, as a culture, we do not deal with. Um, But support is such a beautiful connection as Randy you spoke of connection is such a beautiful strength that we need to accept and we talk about crying and feeling life and uh, it's true it is the one it's to experience the world around you I realized after Tim's death what I would hate is to go to my deathbed and not have allowed myself to experience something that was so beautiful Um, so really if the consequence is I mean I'm gonna have to let people in boy the reward honestly in those moments it's worth it every time. Yeah. Worth it every time. It absolutely so, is. So I think that's beautiful. Um, again, we want to remind everybody that Randy Siwats is the author of Filling Empty. Uh, Randy, why don't you tell us if you like if people would like to get more information on the book or or to get it? What could they do? Oh, of course. Well, it's available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all of the book outlets. Uh, it's Filling Empty. F-I-L-L-I-N-G. Empty, as in filling an empty heart. Mm-hmm. Or there's local bookstores. Um, uh, aunties and uh, mm-hmm. decorum mm-hmm. gift shop right. uh, where it's available and it'll be available in more bookstores around as people yeah, there's also a facebook it. page there's a facebook page uh, of filling empty i'd love to have you come on to it and fillingempty.com um where we offer we meaning me offer right. grief uh the royal we yeah suggestions and things that have helped me so yeah i'd love sure. to have people visit and I want to say a listener uh, um, wrote in and said, uncomfortable, but so important to talk about. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. I know there were a lot of people listening today. Yes, um, lots of people. And I'm, um, I'm grateful for that. And I mean, like we said, you're going to be touched by by this subject. So it's, it is important. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we have these right. important, but uncomfortable sometimes. But uncomfortable. Conversations. With there needs to be more. In Absolutely. our community, um, we will. We're going to lead you on an uplifting note. We have teased <laughs> you all week about the this year's version of our un, uh, awkward Christmas cards, holiday cards that we shot. We did the photo shoot last week. Mm-hmm. We have teased you and teased you, and we are ready to let you see the first one. Yep, you get it, and then you'll get them sprinkled throughout the week. Yeah, there's going to be five all together, but our, the boys, and our awkward Christmas holiday cards are released. Uh, we will put the very first one up on our Facebook page right now. Feel free to share. 
feel free to tell us how adorable we are. <laughs> um, and get ready because uh, we, we're letting you see the least awkward one in that, the beginning. That's right. They get way more awkward. Yep. So. Yeah. You get you, it, it helps you break it in. You yeah. Know? We're all break you in. So definitely go there. See what. Mm-hmm. Let us know uh, what you think about them. We that's can't right. wait to hear from you. And now, then yeah. join us next week also yes. for our special holiday show where we talk to a few of our past guests about their favorite holiday Quite moments. Quite a few. Yes. They uh, share holiday songs, memories. Yeah. There's comedians. There's, there's actors. There's fun there's stuff. Damon, uh, who we just talked to, is actually on it. Um, and just so a, there's a he shares <laughs> it's a, a hoot. It's I a hoot. love his memory <laughs> so much. We've talked about it for weeks, so definitely tune in for that. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, lots of other. Hal Sparks is on. Bruce Valanche, just uh, lots of amazing people. So yeah. tune in for that. Community Radio.